Oh, I'm standing here in my underwear rolling film for the Etsy store. So anyone who buys film for me understands how this stuff is made. <laughs> Hello and welcome to the Viewfinder Vikings podcast. This is episode number... Oh... I should have checked that again. 15. 15, sorry. <laughs> That's your only job from now on, Ian. Nobody's, nobody's <laughs> going to correct it. Just go with, just sound oh. confident. It's number 15. <laughs> it's number 173. And, and this week's uh, special guest, uh, more special than Ian, is uh, Michael Bartosek. How are you, Michael? Uh, I'm doing really well. Thanks for having me on. Cool. I was hoping you were going to do the introduction like the classic lenses where you'd say in in Inglewood, California, in uh, the west coast of Norway and from behind the Iron Curtain, it's <laughs> <laughs> the viewfinder Vikings. And then we can talk about the weather for five minutes. Yeah, how's the weather in, in L.A.? <laughs> you know, oh, man, today we are getting roasted out. I don't know how hot it is out there, but it's it's uncomfortably warm in my apartment right now. I'm not going to lie. Oh, that sucks. We had this uh, this heat wave in in Norway this summer, which is of course is nothing compared to what you have every summer probably. But I just, I just, my body and brain just shuts down. I just, I don't, I don't, I, I, I go b- back to so purely existing. I don't do anything. I just, I can't even. I can drive. That's that's okay because we have AC in the car. But otherwise, I just, I just break down. Yeah. Whenever, whenever it's too hot for me. That's that's you know honestly we are so spoiled here. Like t- today the temperature is ninety five. Mid next week it's going to be down to seventy three, but you know probably probably in the eighties is where it is typically this this time of year. You know we get like these little, what is it? Sort of end of August into early September tends to be our hottest time of the year. That's the most uncomfortable. And it's, it's like two weeks of these 90-ish plush temperatures. And we, and it's like, oh, my God, we're melting. And then the rest of the year, it's just perfect summer, sunny day, 285 days of awesome. But that's how that's how whiny we are here. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's ridiculous. It's ridiculous. It, but, but I think that weather probably suits the sort of film that we're going to be talking about tonight. Those clear sunny it, days. It absolutely does. Yeah. Well, so, yeah, go ahead, I was just going to say that when, whenever we have uh, super blue skies in Norway, I'm still at, like, I'm not at sunny 16, I'm at sunny 5.6. Wow. So, that's it's going to be a challenge if I'm going to shoot that film that we're talking about later. But first of all, let's talk about the, your latest project. Both you and Ian participated in the... Uh, 2238 project and uh, uh, which one of you wants to tell us a little bit about it yeah well I'll, I'll make a start so um, probably four months ago something like that there was a there was a Facebook uh, group created by Michael and he was looking for photographers to get involved and help him shoot uh, a, a bulk roll of, of Kodak 2238 which was this unusual a movie reproduction film that, that kind of nobody had ever heard of at that point. 
and uh, 30 lucky photographers got involved. Um, I guess the group filled up pretty quickly. And uh, Michael was able to send out a couple of roles to each of those those 30 people. Um, we set about shooting those two roles and, and, and sort of comparing our notes in the Facebook group of, of how we'd done it, the processes we'd used, and then started sharing some of the results. And uh, it was a real kind of journey of, of discovery sort of thing that's that's now resulted in a zine, um, which we'll perhaps talk about in a second. But that, that's how it felt from the sort of receiving end of it, Michael. Maybe you want to talk, talk about how it actually uh, worked behind the scenes. Yeah, no, I, I, I mean, that's it. That's a perfect summary of, of what happened. I, I think I, I chatted about this on the Negative Positives podcast a, a couple months back. But, um, you know, I, I think it was... Uh, between Ed Conde and Jason Konopinski sort of pushing, because they're the pushers of the ultra-fine Extreme 400, and certainly lots of folks have jumped on that um, that bandwagon. It's, it's a super cool film. And I went to the ultra-fine website looking to grab some of that film and ended up stumbling across 2238 on their site. And then, you know, from there ended up somehow on eBay looking for it and found it for super cheap. And then that sort of, you know, I bought some and then I started experimenting with it. And I, I think my, you know, my original idea was to do that, uh, a zine for myself called um, student camera project where I didn't want to research the film after I purchased it. I just wanted to experiment on my own and see what I could come up with. So I Dedicated myself to using a Pentax K1000 with the student lens, that uh, 50 millimeter f2, and really treating it as an unknown and and just practicing short films with you know ISO 50, 25, ultimately six, and trying various developer combinations and sort of dialing it in, and then sort of I spent maybe a month doing that. And over that month, listening to the podcast uh, and being inspired by the community in general, that idea more from doing a zine by myself to, hey, let's let's send this out to the community um, at large and do a project together with this film. But with that same spirit of, you know, let's experiment with it ourselves and not dig a ton for for research online. And and yeah, so I created the Facebook group. Launched it originally, you know, seeking folks from the negative positives uh, Facebook community. And then sort of the rest is history, right? We, we, For those of us who've been in the project or who have followed it, um, I do think that people, for the most part, embrace that idea where they did a, a lot of primary testing themselves and then shared that information amongst the group to sort of organically grow development times and exposure ideas with this film and then ultimately the the end result do you want to talk a little bit about do you want to talk a little bit about what makes it unusual and why why we have to compare notes on it and why it's not as as straightforward as as most regular films yeah i mean my my sense of it is that um this this film is a a duplicating film uh, meant to archive either motion picture uh films or as we've learned through the course of this project talking to the person i had ultimately bought this from from ebay is they back up even digital productions onto it and it's a it's a color separation film so they get a product that they're going to archive for their clients and then they run a red blue green channel backup onto the 2238 
So I think it does have some some interesting properties, and I don't really pretend to know what they are, even though I've looked at the text sheet a handful of times. But um, it is panchromatic, so it, it is you know, sensitive to the normal range. I haven't looked at the curve for a while to um, figure out where it sort of dips in and out. But, um, but I do think that because it's, it's super fine grained meant for duplicating and still panchromatic that it just doesn't respond to, um, standard shooting conditions the way say an ISO 100 to 400 film that was meant to be shot in daylight does, but it's not, it's not so far skewed that it doesn't behave like an orthochromatic film either, which really a lot of those seem to be meant for document duplication or, or things along those lines. Yeah, they're so just kind of just black or white, sort of thing. Yep, yep. Yeah. So, you know, so it, 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 I think mostly the speed of the film is what gets um, some folks in the project. Um, you know, we test it typically between ISO 6 and 25, and depending on the developer – you know, it, it really mattered. And the other developers like Xtal, I think you could shoot it at 6 or 25 and still get great results. But some developers like the Monobaths, you kind of need to shoot it at 6. And I'm sure there's some magic there between the fixer fighting with the um, developer f for that amount of time that, that's controlling that. But I don't I don't know for sure. Yeah, I think uh, I think you're right. The speed was the thing that uh, opened people's eyes a little bit, you know. When you you kind of had to check your camera to see if the ISO dial went down that low sort of thing to to yep. uh, to, to pick up those speeds, but yeah, I mean, I, I I used it with a with an old Canon EOS five, kind of a late a late model Canon uh, film camera, uh, set it to ISO sixteen because it was somewhere in the middle of the of the range sort of thing, and just tried to shoot it normally, for the most part. Uh, I processed it in Ilford DT, uh, DDX because that's what I'd got in the cupboard sort of thing. And and the results were great. You know, I was, was really pleased with them. It, it, it's absolutely grain-free and uh, really, really nice blacks, uh, controlled highlights and, and plenty of sort of grain in between. So, yeah, just really liked how it looked. Well, maybe maybe you, you, you two can talk a little bit about um, your experiences with, uh, with shooting the film uh, very sort of like practically like uh, what cameras, what lenses did you go for uh, did you sort of hone in on a certain type of photography knowing what film you had and knowing what shutter speeds you would get etc etc did you have any did you get any new knowledge uh, during the process yeah, this is a fun one. So uh, I did, and just thinking thinking about what you were saying there, jumping back for one second. One of the one of the interesting things we saw in this group was that most people, when they developed the film for the first time, in whatever developer they developed it in, they I think there was a, a you know a pretty noticeable reaction to everyone because the film has has no tint to the base so it's on this clear star base which is right not typical for photographic films i mean most of the stuff we're used to is on a polyester base and there's a little bit of a tint to it so it's a little blue or something along those lines so i think when folks when this comes out of the tank for the first time you haven't developed it and it's on that clear base it looks black and clear and so i think a lot of people are um, their immediate thought was, oh, my God, this, there's just no information here because I, 
it's almost like you need that tinted base to help you see the sort of mm-hmm. the nuances. And so you don't see that straight out of the tank. But then it felt like a lot of people were surprised once they stuck it in their scanner at how much uh, tonal range and detail was actually in the film. So I do think it challenged us um, in interpreting the negatives sort of in a contact sheet for the first time until you get used to it. And then you then you expect that look and you can sort of start judging the density of the negatives. Um, so there was a little recalibration, uh, I think, for yeah. a lot of people at first. Yeah, I mean, I I always scan things completely flat and then and then try to play with them in in Lightroom once they're in there. And uh, yeah, to, 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 there was plenty of information on that on that film. As, as mm-hmm. you say, it was it looked it didn't look that way when they were hanging up, but but certainly as soon as you got it on the on the light table, you could see it. Yep, yep. So, so you've you've shot quite a lot of this since, oh well, before and since, I think, haven't you? I, I'm I'm easily around fifty plus rolls. Wow. Um, you know, because since the project, I've been selling this stuff through my Etsy store, mm-hmm. and I, you know, I I have it now on somewhere between four hundred to seven hundred foot master rolls of it, or they're not really master rolls, but right, like that's what I'm kind of calling them. So I'm buying it in four hundred to seven hundred foot chunks from the same guy that we got the project film from, and every time I break a 400 or 700 foot roll down to approximately a hundred feet to roll it into canisters. I keep one or two rolls from each of those sort of the first roll and the last roll from that rolling process as quality test rolls and sort of label it up and, you know, identify everything. So if I send it out and folks report some scratching or some light leaks or, you know, just anything, I have a, a roll to go back and sort of bracket the end of what I rolled to make sure that a, you know, did, I mean, it's very possible that I could mess up, right? It's, I think mm-hmm. I joked about this on negative positives originally. It's like when you roll film for yourself, it's easy as pie. As soon as you start rolling it for somebody who's paying money mm-hmm. for it, it, you feel like I'm just messing up everything. I'm, I'm spinning too fast. I didn't, you know what I mean? Like, it, it's just like you just don't want to mess up somebody's film, especially if they're using it for, you know, something they really care about. It's like a, it's a weird pressure, and I think the community is pretty forgiving with hand rolled films. But still, right? Like, you, yeah, you don't, yeah, you don't want to send it out. Yeah. So, uh, have you uh, have you sold many rolls? Has there been much interest in this film since the, that that initial batch? Yeah. Let me see. I was actually looking at that. There's there's been a ton. I have I have rolled. Um, over 250 rolls of this film. Oh, oh, fantastic. Actually, let me go back. I didn't I didn't look, uh, make that 432 rolls. Oh, wow. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I have a little spreadsheet that documents each master roll, each rolling batch, and the number of rolls and the number of exposures that I got out just to kind of – I was curious. Um, so, yeah, I have gone through 436 exposure rolls since the project. Um, oh, that's great. That's that's really good. And and do you yeah. feel that people are using that Facebook group as the sort of reference now? As for if you want to know about two two three eight, that's the place to go to, right? I think so. I, I think it's pretty successful. Um, that you know, it's and probably the bulk of that material has been purchased by people in that group to sort of support their ongoing use of it. And and certainly through the Etsy store, I've 
I've sent it out to other people that don't seem to be related to that group. But, and I didn't keep track of that, but I'm guessing more than 60 to 70 percent of the sales of that film have gone back to the original project group. And, you know, people are buying it 10, 20 rolls at a time. And I think they're just sitting on it and shooting a roll here and there. That sounds good. So so the next stage of the project is the zine, which we talked about briefly. So uh, this is where I I kind of I think different people volunteered help in the project in different ways uh, during the course of it. And yep. um, so, so I, because I've done a couple of zines in the past, offered to get involved there. Uh, so what I've done is we, I set up a Dropbox, contacted the 35, I think it ended up at the, the, the shooters of that initial batch, mm-hmm. um, asked them for their favorite two pictures. I think 26 people actually submitted in the end. And uh, we've, we've taken those two pictures and, and put them into a zine. Um, I had a bit of fun with it because I, uh, as soon as the pictures w- appeared in the Dropbox, I moved them into a into a hidden Dropbox so nobody else could see each other's pictures, and um, created the zine, did the layout, done the cover, you know, included some text, um, all without anybody seeing it, including Michael. And you know, I'm I'm, I'm really uh, grateful to him for sort of trusting me with with this part of the project. Uh, and I hope you don't mind too much that I've sort of done that, but um, th- that was all done before I left um, before I left Ireland to come over to Poland, which is sort of ten days ago. Um, the zines arrived at home uh, two days ago. My wife made me a little unboxing video, so I've seen them by video link. Um, oh, cool! And they 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 look fantastic. I'm really pleased with how they how they um, have turned out. They are super thick books uh, that we've used quite a heavyweight paper um there are a lot of pages a lot of pictures so it, it just looks great so um i'm flying home tomorrow i can't wait to can't wait to see them and start sending them out on monday and i'm definitely going to give your send yours out first michael so you'll have hopefully two days head start on the rest of the guys uh, getting their copies so so yeah they should all go, all go out this week and uh, again hopefully the facebook group will be full of people um finding the spelling mistakes in the in the text that I've added or but it, but at least kind of exchanging their thoughts and uh, and and what they think of the of the kind of finished you know the end result of the of the, of the project no I, I i am i'm super excited about it and and sort of to your point of i'm actually really happy that you took point on making those cuz you know you had sent me a couple of your zines and um you know, we, we chatted about them and I, I absolutely love them. And I, I think the, the whole fun of a project like this is that we really, if it's going to be a community project and that if the, like in this case, right, like the, when the community sort of takes ownership and it doesn't become my project, it becomes our project. And so I think the way the design came out to be is it's really nice because I didn't see the cover. I didn't see the layout. I didn't make those choices. So then it makes it more of an R project and less of a my project, which is uh, for me the best of both worlds. Because I think one of the beauties of doing collaborations is that you, um, you know, you you get input from people, and and sometimes you let you let people run with what they're better at than you, or or possibly better at than you, it, it, right? sort of doesn't yeah. really matter. I guess better or worse shouldn't be the thing. It's just it, it adds more complexity and flavor to the project is, 
I, I guess the best way to say it. Absolutely, so, yeah. It's it's been yeah. it's been great fun, and uh, yeah. So I think I ordered fifty copies originally. I've got thirteen left. Uh, there's one guy who contacted me tonight who's who contributed to the project. Um, so I need to arrange one for him. So basically, we've got twelve left that we can kind of uh, make available to the rest of the community. And of course, if we need to order another few copies, we can do that. But um, yeah, I'll I'll. Maybe we can post the link to the Etsy site uh, in the show notes. Yeah, will there be a, a, a separate Etsy Etsy store for that scene, or will it be a part of uh, one of your stores? So at the moment, so at the moment it's on it's on my store, um, but right. it could easily be on Michael's, I guess, and we could maybe okay. share that. In fact, just distribution. Either side of the Atlantic might be might be cheap but to, for me to send a bunch over to Michael and he could maybe look after them in the U.S. Yep. Yeah, I'd be happy to. Okay. Yeah. Let's let's yeah. let's arrange that offline. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's an interesting point. I I because of all these collaborations, right? Like you're you're doing the zine for this project, and I'm making film available. So if people are inspired, they can shoot it, and they. The zine almost is like a fantastic reference manual for expectations. Like um, almost every style and and at least a third of the world is represented in there. And right, so it's it's like it's a nice little uh, bible of information. If That's you true. Will. I, I, um, I listed I listed the camera and location of each shooter in the back of the back of the book. Um, the thing that was missing and maybe we should have included was the developing. Um, information to what what chemical was used, for example, but um, but at least the the socials for each of the people are there. So if if people want to sort of ask questions about um, the process used in any of the individual pictures, then they, they'll be able to do that. Mm-hmm. And you maybe. know, we, oops, I'm sorry. No, go ahead. No, I was going to say maybe we could toss a link either on the Etsy store or anywhere to the development times. Right on on Facebook, so we we've kind of created a master document there, and I'm going to update that because it's a little bit wonky right now. But um, that just sort of does talk about the what we perceive to be the best combinations of ISO developer um, for that film. Sounds good. Cool. So that that pretty much wraps up the two two three eight project. Unless there's another aspect to it that we that we're not aware of at the moment. Well. You should um, consider sending one copy to to Kodak just to let them know <laughs> how amazing this film is, and that they probably should sort of uh, do it commercially themselves. You, you know, I'm I thought sure. about that just just for the fun of it, just to say, hey, this is what we did with your uh, with your product, and see if any conversation came of it. Yeah, and just let them know that. Uh, and this is the next project and then maybe they can tag along and see what you're doing and suddenly they start giving you film instead of uh, you have to buy it, buy it who knows it's got to be <laughs> maybe, worth a try maybe i'm, yeah. I'm op- optimistic <laughs> well then I, i'll be honest uh, I, we i think we've covered this in the past um but the original purchase price of that film was so inexpensive and, you know, it was something, it cost me something like 60 cents a roll to buy it. And 
then when I distributed to folks, thanks, the community sort of paid back. And it, it ended up being that this the, the project as a whole really cost nobody anything or not me except for time, right? Like pretty much everyone paid for their own shipping of the film and or paid enough to cover everyone else. So it was an interesting an interesting thing to see that this, you know, this, this community, this project paid for itself overall, um, which I, which I totally love. I think that's really cool. Do, do you know if uh, the price increase has been in, in every step or just in the, the last uh, two or three that we are uh, aware of? Oh, sort of like the eBay prices of this film. Yeah, and and do you know if Kodak has also turned up their prices, or is is it just the the duplicate sellers that has picked up that this is getting popular? And yeah, you know, I I feel like it's one of those things where I, I, there is a small sense that I think uh, Ultrafine online and maybe a couple of the other eBay sellers, their prices have ticked up a little bit, and and you know. I, because I don't really have any background data and never looked at the trends of these films or bothered to compare it to the prices of their other stuff. I don't know that it's a, it's a real popularity uptick or a supply thing or just, um, Hey, shipping got a little bit more expensive or something. And so for us mm -hmm. to, you know, it's, a, it, it's, it's fun to joke that the, the project has created some demand and now the prices are, have gone up. But, you know, I think we don't really know, I just don't think we really know that, but certainly they feel like it's ten or twenty dollars per hundred feet more expensive than it was when I happened to stumble across it. Yeah, I think so too, and I I think that goes for for all the films, and and I also suspect that the FPP has had an increase in sale on their rare films. I think this has sort of turned the book on on new inspiration and new imagination uh, uh working with new project for for a lot of people including myself uh, uh, and thinking about how i can use this film the way the conditions are here in norway and my gear what gear can i use this film with and it sort of limits my uh my options and but then opens up the the creative juices in in my brain and and sort of figuring out cool projects I could do with, with a film that goes down to ISO 6. So that's, uh, there is, been there's a some, there is some saying about, uh, limitations, dry, uh, producing, you know, creativity. I'm not sure what the saying yeah. is, but you get the idea. It's yeah. another, it's a, it's another limitation that's going to make you find solutions. So, uh, definitely yeah, you should give it a go. That's yeah. especially true for, for personalities like me. And if, if, if someone stole every camera I own apart from the four by five, I would try to find a way to shoot everything on the, on the four by five, including sports and <laughs> everything. So that would just open up a, a new world for me. But since I have all these options, uh, in my studio, I, I just, I don't use four by five for sports, but <laughs> I'm going to come and steal all your cameras just so I can see you. <laughs> so you can see the creative energies flow. Uh -huh, uh -huh. <laughs> like I did you'll paper, you'll, you'll thank me in the long run. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. You know, you 
we didn't really answer this question. You asked about how 2238 um, sort of influenced or changed, but sort of a small observation for myself. When I was when I was doing the testing, right, I started shooting at 50, and it was and I was using the monobath, the D, Cinestill DF96 monobath. You know, at 50, the negatives were thin and absolutely like I could not scan them to save my life, and so I I kept dialing it back. And then I landed on ISO 6 with that particular developer. And ISO 6 shooting did change my style pretty dramatically because I'm lazy, right? I don't want to carry a tripod. I just, it's just, it's just not what I want to do with photography. I want to be able to shoot on my feet as I'm walking around. And if I had autofocus and sort of randomness and I could just shoot over the back of my head, that's where I'm truly the most happy. Um, I just, want to be very spontaneous and shoot. So now I have this ISO 6 film. I want to hand hand hold it. I spent a lot of time in the first few weeks shooting in the evenings at the ocean, these old piers with the film. And, you know, I'm down to shooting a half a second to a quarter of a second handheld. And just knowing that it's probably going to have some motion blur, but not caring because that's what the ISO of the film gives me. And um, then after I started processing, I really loved those results of like, I think for a long time, it was the cover group photo uh, of the of the pier with the waves crashing on it. And like, I would have probably never got that look with any other film stock that was more, say, normal speeds, because it required being at ISO six and wanting to handhold it and just having to take the half a second shutter speed um, because, you know, that's what it was. And then I discovered this look through that. And then for the next couple of weeks, I, I went out shooting that exact shutter speed um, ISO combination of other subjects moving to kind of create like a little repertoire of images that have a little bit of motion blur, but not a ton. And I think that, you know, for me, that that this film specifically opened up that creative look. That uh, I know exactly the picture that you're talking about the uh, the picture of the old pier, yep. uh, and I think you used it as you you put labels onto each one of the hand rolled films that you sent out. Yeah, that yep. was the picture that was on the label, wasn't it? It, it was. Yes. Yeah, exactly. it's, it's beautiful. That that as you as you talk about that that. Um, movement of everything in the image but the kind of limited movement um just gives a really interesting feeling to the picture it's it's a it's a really great picture so uh yeah i, th I think it was it was for a lot of people as you say it was the cover of the of the facebook group it was on our rolls of film and for a lot of us that was a kind of the only picture we'd seen that had used this film before we went out shooting it if you know what i mean yeah. so uh, yes, yeah, it's, it's kind of significant in the whole um, in the whole story of the project. I think that, that that image. Yeah, and and for me it was significant because I felt like, oh, I stumbled across something, right? Like I don't owe any. There's nothing I did to produce this creativity on my own. This was an this was an accident of the medium I was using and the requirements to handhold it, and that was the widest aperture I could get and the only reasonable shutter speed, right? So it's like. Then when I see it, I'm like, I literally started to reproduce it other places, like wait until the light's about similar, 
in whatever environment I was in and then just set those settings in there. And I shot people that way and I shot other water areas that way. And I went to like an amusement park and, and shot it. And, and now I feel like I have this, this look that this film gave me and, yeah. and I love it. So there you go. That's, that's a two minute explanation of why you should use a four by five for sports photography. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I, uh, I, I tried that 2238 too. And, um, I sort of, I've sort of looked for a, a, a special kind of look in my black and white photography for a long time, and uh, I was sort of close with uh, with pushing HP5. Um, but the moment I saw the first image uh, with shot on the twenty two thirty eight that came out, um, that sort of just was the exact thing that I was looking for and I, of course I, w I was a little bummed out because of the the ISO I, I wish it was a hundred or 400 or but uh, it's basically the perfect way uh, a black and white image should look in in my view and uh, I just wish it was possible to get in other sizes and can you imagine this film in in four by five or uh, it would just be amazing and um I was looking at one of your images uh, uh, today, Michael, uh, the the one with the two baby shoes uh, mm. in the grass, and uh, which you posted about an hour ago on the on the Facebook group, and uh, the way the 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 pavement or or the the gray of the pavement compared with the blackness of the the grass. And uh, those tiny um, highlights on each of the grass uh, straws. And then you have the white of the shoes that has just... It looks it looks like you've, you, you've spent a good 45 minutes in Photoshop to get this look. And I imagine you didn't. Um, no. And I, yep. I sort of... I get the feeling that... I don't know if it, this is true. This is probably just my... Uh, stupidness showing but it feels like the natural v vignette uh, of this film uh, comes out uh, even though you have a lens that doesn't vignette if you know what I mean um, and it it all almost uh, if you if you have something white or bright in the center it just um, exaggerate that feeling of that natural vignette like i don't know if you vignette your images but on the left side there it's the, the grass is almost black and that's of course probably because of the lack of light and the i don't know i don't know do you know what what i mean i i, I do and i think that it, it's it's interesting that you say that because this is um this photograph that you're talking about ed conde and i were we're basically just cruising down Venice Beach boardwalk. So, like, imagine you're looking at those shoes right now, and you look up, and it's a bright, sunny midday in Southern California. There are 9 million people rollerblading and riding bikes and smoking weed and being crazy because it's Venice Beach. And we saw those pair of shoes sitting exactly like that. And we were just like, oh, that's creepy. You know what I mean? So we stop and we take that photo in all that sunshine that sort of chaotic brightness and i think the photo has an interesting otherworldness and stillness that's totally contrary to the scene 
and some of the look I think you're talking about is because the ISO is so low of the film, and it's not even that low, right? But it's relatively low. Is I'm shooting that with a shallow enough depth of field, even in bright sunlight conditions, that you're you're getting that combination of sort of that oofta or bokeh out of focus um, behind <laughs> those, and and I I the definitely what? don't add any vignetting to this. <laughs> Did you say uh, Ufta? Yeah, I said Ufta. <laughs> that's so hilarious because it's a swear a, word in Norwegian. No, that's a, <laughs> I, I've heard that before because a lot of Nor Norwegian Americans use that word because they they find it so funny. It means sort of I, like oh, oh boy or here we go again or something I, I, like I'm that. I'm stealing Ufta. that from the classic lenses podcast because yeah. it makes <laughs> it makes me laugh that they use that all the time. <laughs> I, I just that that image looks like it's shot on four by five in a deserted village in 1965 or something something around like that. I just love it, and yeah, I, that's amazing that you can sort of trick reality uh, in a way and. Uh, that was what I was wondering with with if it's changed your shooting style. If, for instance, you you walk around with 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 that film loaded, if if there are images you just skip or that you if you had a four hundred ISO film you would take, but with this film you just don't bother. And and if it's changed the way you look for something like white stuff on dark backgrounds, uh, or if you think about that when you're out shooting because of the, the nature of the film. Yeah, I think it's a fair question. I don't, it, the only thing it's changed about my personal style, besides now I have that sort of that slow motion look that I now feel like I have a better command of is that this film allows me to shoot midday sun and sort of a little bit harder angles than I normally would shoot. And so I, f I definitely find myself shooting this particular stock in the middle of the day a little bit wider open because I can. So I feel like it has added just another time slot where, you know, a lot of photographers are going to go out in the morning and the evening to get the good light and I guess drink beer in the afternoon and lament hard light. But I, f I feel like this film allows you to shoot in hard light with abandon because you can still get interesting separation of background subjects with depth of field. And the, the, it just gets you a little more details in the shadows, which are a little bit harder as the light starts to fall one way or the other. So um, I've just been catching up with the group, actually, because I've, I've, as I say, I've been on holiday for sort of 10 days now. Um, haven't really looked at Facebook, but just while we've been talking, I've been kind of flicking through the last few um, pictures that people have posted. And I, I think you're right in that, those original posts, those original members of the group have gone back and bought more film from you by the looks of it. But they've also kind of honed the uh, the, the results. So um, as, as, as you've just been saying, the your experience with the film is kind of guiding you towards certain subject matter, perhaps, or a certain way of using the film. And you can mm -hmm. see that in people's results. And the results are just getting better and better. Yeah. Yeah. And that can also be just from the fact that it's not maybe you know what's gonna work but you know what's not gonna work maybe mm -hmm. so you don't want to develop a role and have uh, 20 of uh, 36 images just 
not even going to scan them because the way the something the contrast or whatever it didn't didn't translate at all to the to the mm -hmm. film so i had that with my sh uh, when i did uh, a shoot with this film because i used a 135 le lens which meant that i couldn't <laughs> i couldn't use the shutter speeds that i that i wanted so for every for every shot where i had too much shadows uh, it was just it was just all black and uh, sometimes of course that can be good or you can go for that but i i never wanted that uh, so those images i i think i just scanned maybe seven or eight images from that role so it was again, a, it was a it was a 3.5 lens too so yeah, but now you've now you know that that's only going to make you next time you use the film, it's going to only make it better, right? Yeah, I'm going to buy mm -hmm. a, a 1.4 lens. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay. But, but Sorry, could I... you imagine what 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 can happen if if we got this film in 120 and and, and 4 by 5 oh, Yeah, that would be lovely. So that's well, why I... we need to send Kodak the zine, right? Yeah, send it I, to I, them. I keep thinking about this, and I think. I'm going to do this myself at some point, right? But I just add it to my little black book of unrealized <laughs> ideas. Um, I just think you take this film, go in your dark room, cut it, and mount it into a four by five holder, right? And sprocket holes and all, and you'll it just shoot just shoot that, right? I think we could literally. It's not like the film would be very much different. You'd have some interesting sprocket hole dynamics across it, depending on how you layered it. But we could we could make a quasi four by five version of this film just by cutting it and splicing it together. And I, I it's, it's been on my list of things to do. And one of these days I'll, I'll actually do it because I, I do want to see that, that super fine grain look with the combination of my speed. I have a speed graphic for four by five, that speed graphic lens. Cause like, like you've already said, and other people have pointed out too, in certain situations, this film already looks like a larger format with the light yeah. fall off and the depth of field. So I'm just like, well, I'll just tape it together and um, make it a larger format and go shoot it and develop it and scan it. And, and it's like we don't really have to wait for Kodak to do it. We can <laughs> we can approximate it. Um, it would be awesome if we could buy it that way, but I, just, I don't know that that's going to happen. So that's the that's the next thing that's gonna pop up on your Etsy store, pre preloaded <laughs> four by five folders. <laughs> yeah, so they'll be seven hundred dollars a piece because the amount of time it takes to put it together would be terrible. And you would have to buy those uh, IR goggles that that Andre has. Yeah, I'm thinking about just or, sacrificing some uh, and just figuring out a template to do it, and then right, practicing in the light, and then just. You could I also. Think it would be so fun. What if you found a way to to accurately cut away the the sprocket holes, so you would uh, you would glue maybe uh, ten rows in one four by five holder, or I think ten, yeah. eight eight maybe, and then have no sprockets, and then scan it as tiny increments or it's as strips and then just uh, stitch them as a panorama in, in Lightroom or Photoshop. Yeah, I think it's a legit 
I think both of those ideas are good. Shooting it individually, cutting the sprockets out, or literally cutting the sprockets on the film and making a four by five negative out of it with no sprockets, so you get edge to edge contacts. Yeah, that would be so cool. I mean, and that, right. that's that's what makes this fun, right? Is we're we're literally coming up with ideas that will add something interesting, creative to your photograph that you would never do if you just bought a four by five version of this film in the first place. That is true. That is true. All right, maybe we should uh, take a break and um, and just uh, have this recording in the bank, and then uh, we'll we'll uh, move on to the next project in the next uh, segment. All right, we're back from the break with Michael Bartosek and Ian Barnaby Nutt, and uh, we are moving on from the Kodak two two three eight project onto the next project, which is Michael. It's the Kodak twenty four sixty eight project. Can... Ding ding ding! <laughs> you see, I have a theme and a knack for naming these projects. <laughs> right. <laughs> So, so tell, us, tell me tell about, about the, tell me about this film. Yeah, so sometime while we were doing the twenty two thirty eight, um, I found on eBay like a thousand foot roll of Kodak twenty four sixty eight, and and what it is is it, it's a direct duplicating microfilm, and um, there's been some interesting conversations on social media that I've had like you know, people arguing with me that I'm doing something magical. And so this film, you get a positive image. (laughs) Witchcraft. Standard. Yeah. Using standard black and white developers. That's, that's how Kodak has designed it. Um, We're not doing anything magical. There's like, there's no trickery involved. Um, And I've had people basically be like, well, you're doing something. And I'm like, like, really? I'm, I have no reason to lie. I don't know what benefit it could get me, right? I'm like, just go buy some and try it. Um, but yeah, it's a it's a really slow speed micro film, and it's meant for I I, I think it might be meant for just like text duplication, like um, what do you call those old microfilm where they're backing up newspapers or something onto almost like microfiche, microfiche was it called? Yeah, that's it. Yeah, and I I think it's similar to that. I I can't quite tell. I I have the text sheet and I've looked at it. And what's interesting is they make a family of films from uh, – and, and they basically – they make two varieties. They make the 2462 through 246 – or to, to 2470, and then make the 4462 through 4468. And they're, they're all in the same families. They look red or yellow, and they're translucent. Like you, look, you hold up the negative. It, and like if you saw Matt Jones recently, he made an LCA – um, 120. He converted it into like a pano camera, so he he put a mask in there. Uh-huh. And on the for the red window on the back of his mask, he he basically used a little slice of the Kodak 2468 as his hmm. red window material because that's how translucent it is and and red. Um, I I think the other the 2462 is yellow and the 2468 is red, and 
and they basically say that these films are designed to maintain the polarity of whatever they're duplicating. So, right. If you duplicate a negative, you get a negative. If you duplicate a positive, you get a positive. Uh-huh. And, and so then how, what, how slow is it? So th- that's the interesting thing is according to their, uh, to the tech sheet, the 2468, which is also on an S-star base, like the 2238, has an ISO in tungsten lighting of 0.2. <laughs> yeah. Wait, so, well, let me just, so, if you are Kodak and you're coming up with this product way back when, right, and you your goal is to to back, back up or to duplicate Probably text, right? Like books, probably. I I think so. I'm I'm not exactly sure what it's for. I mean, they just say it's duplicating microfilms, and maybe they're even backing up other films. Um, right, because then they would illuminate the film, which meant that they could have a lower ISO. But for instance, the twenty two thirty eight could be duplicating uh, not. Uh, backlit stuff so you could possibly use it at 25 does that make sense mm-hmm it does <laughs> okay maybe that was the use for it so this 2468 was for backlit backlit positive images which is why it also from a positive creates a positive yeah, I, I mean, I, I wish I, I like your idea. I wish I could say that I, you know, really understood. I, I mean, they're basically say, the only thing they say in their tech sheet, which maybe gives us an idea, is that um, they say all duplicating microfilms use a contact printing method. So the master and the duplicate oh. are brought into contact during exposure. So maybe that's the difference. Whereas twenty two thirty eight, my understanding is they project the image, right either shine light on it or laser write it from the way those machines work onto the negative. Whereas this brings the original material and the duplicating material into physical contact. And Right. So this is never in a camera. So this, this film is duplicating a, a 35 millimeter film. Basically. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, so and we should po- point that out. This, this particular stock that we're going to use for the 2468 project has no sprocket holes. This film is available with sprocket holes for some applications. The material I have just happens to not have sprocket holes. So I've seen it both ways. Same exact film. Some of it's perforated. Some of it isn't. Don't exactly know, you know, okay. what application they use each for. But for the upcoming project, it will be a non-perforated version of the film, which will present some fun challenges for people. Right. So so how do do you need a specific camera or can you sort of DIY it somehow? So I I think um what we should do is is let folks know that we 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 did a poll and I forget which group we did this on it might have been the 2238 project or the negative positives Facebook group and we asked people if we should keep this on Facebook or move it to Flickr um for the next project. And so it's been decided that this next project will be hosted on Flickr. Um, it was a voting decision. And, and so awesome. yep, if you, w- when this launches, if you go to flickr.com, search for the Kodak 2468 project group, 
and then you ask to be added and much like the last project i will add um say 30 to 40 people i'm, I'm thinking around 40 people i'm going to reserve 10 to 15 spots for folks uh, in the uk and on that side of the pond in general and um maybe 20 or 30 for folks in the sort of on this side and i and i'm only having that little bit of difference because it seemed like last time we had maybe more people from the states interested um but we'll see we'll see how it works out so i don't i don't want to exclude people but i want to make sure that we hold hold spots at least a certain amount so if you come to that Flickr group add yourself I, i'm going to do the same thing i'm going to try to take the first uh 40 people for this project if this is iso 0.2 then i think people in norway and ireland need not apply really <laughs> <laughs> Well, hey, this gives you a chance to bust out your flashes and <laughs> it'll try something new creatively, right? Well, I have some, I have 2,000 watts strobes with the, with my work, so I can use those. Yeah, you're, you're set. Street photography, just, just mount them on, on, a, on a backpack or something and just sort of casually stroll downtown. Yep. No, no worries. But, uh, does it exclude uh, people without uh, a camera that's able to shoot sprocketless or do you have some sort of option so you have some options um basically because this film is a little more tricky than the 2238 in my initial testing because of the sprockets first and foremost and the, the lower iso uh, matt jones ken mitchell eric o'hara and to a small degree, uh, Dustin Nickerson and I have sort of already set up the, the Flickr group, and we had for a while a private Facebook group. Um, I sent Matt and Eric some of the film. Ken had his own stock. And we've we've sort of been running a bunch of background testing and, like, pre-project work to, to kind of create some threads and some conversation that when we send out to the larger group, people can refer to. So that's going to include... Um, some developer combinations because there's some interesting things happening and then which cameras you could use uh, with sprocketless film and hopefully we'll get more feedback and that list will grow so um, right now the Canon EOS 10S or Canon I think it's a QD EOS QD which is the 10S model that is sold in other markets not the US market so it's the same camera um, that camera will accept sprocketless film. And that's the only sort of auto-feed camera that I'm aware of currently that you can use a sprocketless film in. They sell on eBay for $20 to $25 US. Um, and they're actually a fantastic camera. It's, it's, it's almost the same as my EOS 1N. Like, it feels great in the hand. It's super modern. It's, I mean, it's it's a steal for that camera for twenty to twenty five dollars, but um, yeah, we we so certainly don't want to. So, God. No, it's just going to ask. Yeah, is it is it an option to to splice uh, um, some part of a, a sprocket film onto it just so the camera can 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 start. Or does that mess up the focus with the with the gears pull, uh, pushing the film a little bit up? Yep. So 
in our thread in the group, we're, we, we talk about this and we, we sort of have a list of works really well, works moderate, here's some issues and doesn't work at all. What, what I've found is, I, for instance, I have a Konica Auto Reflex T3. And if I put a, you know, like an old leader from any film that I've developed recently, you know, you have that, that black part that was, you know, the first roll, first six inches of your film. I save those. I splice them onto the 2468. And I've tried this in a few cameras to yep, use the sprockets to kind of get it going and get it pulling. The, the Konica Auto Reflex T3 works. I don't want to say perfectly fine. It works, but it seems that what happens is that in some parts of the roll, it has a little bit of slippage. Um, so the frame spacing, I've had a little bit of minor overlapping or unexpectedly large gaps between the film. But on a, say, on a 36 exposure roll, I still managed to get 30 good exposures. Um, and then some interesting ones because of the overlap. So I tested it also with a Pentax K1000 because, you know, they're so ubiquitous. And however that camera advances, um, that method does not work with a K1000. I oh, okay. So, but w w that Konica, is that an auto or a manual it, uh, it, rewind? No, not rewind, but crank. It's it's the same as a K1000 ostensibly, right? It looks okay. It looks like Konica's version of a K1000. I think it's a little, <clears throat> little bit newer, but I, I don't know what the mechanism is. Um, I don't, and I think in some cameras the sprocket sprocket guides are actually pulling the film along, and in others this take up spool is actually pulling the film. Um, so right. My, yeah. Oh, so my sense point. in the Konica okay. is that the take up spool is doing the work, and in the Pentax it's distributing that between the sprockets and the take-up school because it just doesn't work. Right. Um, hmm. So a couple other alternatives, uh, uh, Matt Jones has discovered, which is sort of a no-brainer, is that you could use something like a Holga. Yeah. Right? Um, that, that works perfectly fine. So I imagine any of the Holga cameras, 35, 120, you can load this film in there and just, just ratchet it across. Just with some adapters. But yep. that would make. Uh, how can you? Because that has a set shutter speed and set f stop. So how could you? You would have to use it on bulb mode then every time, right? Or yeah, bulb mode. And, or I, I I don't know. I don't know if he's done this. I'll have to double check. Um, he may have just used some flash also. Right. Okay. Um, so but I, it was it was point. Two, you said point two ISO or point yeah, four. So we've been so I read the the tech sheet today. The tech sheet says point two in tungsten light, so it calls that out very specifically. Um, in daylight, I have been rating mine at ISO point eight, and uh, Matt has done some testing recently at point eight and point four, and point four definitely gives you a little better. So I don't think any of us have tested it down to point two yet. Um, 0.8 as a as a street walk around with a 1.7 lens has actually been okay. Um, I can shoot about a 125th of a second at f 1.7 on the street at 0.8. In you know midday sun bright light. Wow, California yeah. sun. California for <laughs> you. Yeah, exactly. So you know that 
Oh. That, that's been my testing so far. So you can see there is a little bit of range and latitude there. Um, but I think maybe through the project, we're going to find that this might be a fun flash film. Just, you know, would hopefully force people out of their box and they'll start experimenting with on-camera flash. Because then you'll be able to say, hey, I set it at 160th of a second at, at F4 and I just walk around and blast how that'll work cool well i think the option for me would be would be rather a little bit longer exposures on a tripod um do you know any have you done any reciprocity failure experiments or i i haven't i've i've shot a couple of rolls myself maybe four or five mostly street shooting just to test Mostly I've been interested in testing develop, just generic developers to get a look. Um, and I think, you know, that will, the kind of test that you're talking about will come more with the, with the project in the group. Uh, looking at right. the, the tech sheet, um, you know, they say no reciprocity up to a second, which is kind of, I feel like every film says that. So um, I'm not sure what the reciprocity is going to be beyond there and and again on the on the tech sheet they say reciprocity is for tungsten exposures from from oh it says from 100 to point zero zero one seconds is reciprocity failure is negligible hmm. so that's almost a what a minute and a half yeah so so, and so that's, probably hey this is the new Fuji A-Cross. <laughs> we'll see. They're also <laughs> specifying you have to develop it in the Kodak ProStar processor. Oh, okay. Um, which which basically tells you, you know, how long it needs to stay in the tank at a certain temperature because it's meant to be processed like sort of in motion, right? They're just spinning through their several hundred foot reels um, through that ProStar process. And I think uh, we have a, a sort of nerdy, fun conversation, thanks to Dustin Nickerson on the Facebook or the Flickr group, once you open it up, where uh, he, he does some conversions of converting that ProStar processing dwell time and temperature to a standard uh, tank time and temperature. Hmm. You know, just to help people out. Um, is, is it easy to to get onto the reels or without the sprockets or do you have to modify the the reels or something i've had no problems getting it onto the reels um and i use the i guess they're not the patterson reels i, I think maybe they're the arista reels that have the big tabs that almost have that right. shelf um and it's it's a it's a pretty thin um pretty thin uh backing that s-star so it's more like i don't know if you guys have developed any of the the spema films and the mr brown from from fpp those those are like super thin uh, it's not quite ridiculously thin like that it's not that floppy it's a little more stiff but it's it's probably going to feel a little more thin than standard films to most people but but i haven't had any issues loading it so far cool and does that red color disappear and it becomes a clear positive 
after you develop it, or it does, does. It have a tint? It, no, that if you do the pre-wash, um, that red will just it comes off in the pre-wash. Okay. Yeah. So when you yeah when you pour it out, it's it's going to be like you know this blood red liquid <laughs> coming out of your tank. Nice. Well, uh, have you thought about the end goal for this project, or um, what's your thinking about that? Do you want to? Is it a zine? This this one too, or? I, I think what I want to do for this one is, um, you know, early stages of the of the project is just put put that question out to the group and and ask the members that are participating what we think. Like, it would be fun to do another zine um, in in one way, but if folks want to try something different with their time, um, that I think I would entertain like any other suggestions um, just to keep it fresh and interesting. Um, but I'd also be happy right, just to do another zine too. Just, I think, I think having the printed work would be really, really cool. And I, I think the one thing I want to do a little different on this group is somehow um, organize it in such a way so that we see more of the images as a cohesive whole, if you will. And I, I think that's one thing that's attractive about moving it to Flickr is that we'll have a group photo pool and instead of i think it's easier to navigate group photos on Flickr where you can just definitely open up that page and see hundreds of images yeah yeah i think we i think uh, sven and i have talked about this in the past we're, we're both fans of Flickr for that reason mm -hmm. you know it's not it's not like instagram where these things just disappear forever off you off the timeline or facebook where it'll be broken up with a load of you know adverts and and other conversations uh, yep. you can just you can just browse the pictures which is which is uh makes a lot more sense when 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 the, the you know the photos are the thing that you're there for effectively so being able to cut through all the other crap and just get the pictures i think's a, a real advantage of Flickr. yeah and one of the things i like so far in this sort of this pre-testing group is you know we have the developing times thread going and as people add information to it i can go back through and back edit that and take your comments, move them into the upper section where we have the good, mediocre, doesn't work at all conversation going. And I can just keep adding that information. So essentially, when we're done, it's going to look like, you know, just one conversation broken up into three sections. Because I found on Facebook, you know, that developing thread is a little complicated to navigate. Yeah. It's, it's hard to back edit it. So I, I I think we'll have a more useful version of this on Flickr. Great. I, yeah. I, I, it's, it's the future. Flickr is the future. Because yeah, I've, just, also, I've just paid my yeah. subs for this year, so <laughs> it's definitely <laughs> the future. Yeah. Well, it's also, uh, if you, when everyone here has moved on to different projects and, and, uh, and uh, a new kid comes along it's so much easier to find the the group on Flickr and and read up and look at all the pictures than to find a Facebook group where you have to be invited and maybe it's five years from now and you forgot all about the two four six eight and etc so I think it's much much easier for for future generations of of the this film experimenters to to find information yeah, I hope so. I, I I think it's kind of fun to, it's, you know, I think Flickr was so popular for so long, and then the popularity died out a little bit. So it is, it is fun to jump 
back onto Flickr as a medium and and use it and a nice alternative and 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 I know that that it may alienate some people from the from the other projects because they simply don't want to go to Flickr and that's that's a bummer and then I I feel bad in, in one way in another way I'm like but it just gives us a new a new avenue and a, and a new look and it kind of keeps it fresh also I agree so uh, Ian have you thought about how have you had the time to think about how you will sort of uh, experiment with this film my first idea was to use the the Lomography spinner, you know, the 360 spinner. But then I thought oh. the rate that that thing spins, um, <laughs> it, it's, it's not going to work, you know, with that sort of ISO. So you'd have to manually spin it uh, or build some sort of motor drive to, to turn it. So um, no is <laughs> <no's> the answer. <laughs> but, um, yeah, I was, I was thinking, what can I do? Just, just the idea of not having sprocket holes and using, using the whole width of the film. That that can happen with the uh, with the spinner and the sprocket rocket, obviously. So maybe one of those two cameras somehow. I don't know. I'll have to I'll have to look at how wind on mechanisms work when I get back home and I've got my cameras in front of me, perhaps. Yeah, I'm I'm a little torn about uh, between two two thoughts, and the the one is the the Lomo route with with sort of uh, it, it, it could be on a tripod, but it would probably be a little bit shaky and. And, and messy in the corners and and stuff but the the other thing that intrigues me is that it 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 becomes a positive when you develop it so it it would be a shame to to get this film and to have this project but then just scan it and use it like a regular negative film uh so i was kind of intrigued by that trying to maybe make something uh make the images easier to 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 pro uh, to pro project that's the word I'm looking for. Mm. Is other, that the other thing how, I was thinking? How would that would? Yeah, go ahead, Ian. No, the the only other thing I was thinking when you talked about it being uh, a contact process where the the original is kind of pressed against the against the duplicating film to create the image. That sounds like when you make a cyanotype and you lay something on top of the film and expose it to light or on top of the paper in, in cyanotypes um, mm -hmm. case. So I was wondering if maybe you could do it without a camera and actually um, lay something on the film, open it up to light for a, a brief period, close it back down again. And, uh, and that, then, that and then... would be very interesting to actually use it as a duplicating film. Maybe duplicate some of the old family slides onto black and white duplicating film yeah that would be there you go and that would you would have to <laughs> solve mask out problem. you would have to mask out something uh and backlight the slide and and not expose any other film but the film that's covering over the yeah you'd have to cut it into sections i guess and and just do bits at a time but yeah, yeah that maybe, would be maybe that's amazing I, I love That's it. That's so cool. I I I, I think uh, when when you guys join the project, and you know certainly you guys should uh, find the Flickr group today and add yourselves, and I'll 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 add you guys in so you can be part of this this pre planning. I, I the project's going to launch soon, but 
it would be fun to start that thread so, so we don't lose it. And um, yeah, it'd be really cool to see people stepping out and using more alternative processes with this film. Like you're just suggesting, I didn't even think about that. But now that you mentioned it, it's like that is such an obvious fun thing to do. You could do photograms, you could do contact prints, right? I mean, yeah, it's, photograms was the word I was struggling to remember. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That, yeah that's what, it. what 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 happens if you have a light table and you mask out one frame and you put something small like a bug on it? And then you expose it for like a fraction of a second or a second or whatever. That that bug would then be black on the film, right? And everything else would be no. That that would be white. Yeah, no, you're right. It would be black, and the the, the rest of it would be white because it's positive, yep. isn't it? So, okay. Yeah. 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 Yep. So that yep. would be clear. So you would have a. Yeah, you would have a a one to one macro shot of some sort of bug <laughs> directly on the film. There I love go. it. This is such a <laughs> I don't know why I'm all excited about it. It's like this is so obvious when you mention it. I'm like didn't even occur to me to do contact prints with a contact print film, but I'm just gonna recycle all my twenty two thirty eight project <laughs> shots. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> get you, yeah, you know, get the, well. At least the zine's finished. If everybody does that, <laughs> that's, that's, that's right. I'll just scribble well, out could, the cover. I, I, when I was when I was uh, all digital, the 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 big thing was the the backup solutions, and you would have to have a hard drive in your parents' house and a hard drive at, at your brother's house and. Maybe we could start doing that with this duplicating film. Just take the the best shots we have, duplicate them, and just spread the negatives or the positives around uh, different different locations. It's a, it's a perfect solution. We've backed up this zine around the world. No, I, <laughs> I'm like having a field day in my brain right now, thinking about the the contact printing possibilities. Like that's that's really such a fun idea overall, and. Right, like I think Matt Jones brought this point up. Um, he he did some funny calculations where, without the sprocket holes, if you could expose the entire negative, you get something like forty percent more image area. Um, yeah, that makes sense. Right, which to me seems like a lot when you think, but I'm like, right, but I, I trust his math on that. Um, so yeah, if you get that edge to edge exposure of of your subject you get a slightly bigger image which is also fun sounds great and it also That's... gets you away from having to worry about cameras and and the amount of light you've got you yeah know, cameras winding on or lights um you know the length of exposure because you'll be able to control it better. yeah so good stuff I was, just, I was just thinking what if you contact printed uh something with text on that was sort of already pretty big so it filled the entire frame and then you end up with a positive of that a big text but it would be super clean and very sharp mm -hmm. and then you project it onto photographic paper to get a negative but in a huge size and then you contact print that to get a positive she would end up with uh, maybe a poem or or just a sentence or something 
that's maybe like 20 25 inches big but that has the sharpness and the the look of just pure printed text hmm. uh, you you you're you're making me think of like Right, like a lot of us are sort of in that typewriter love phase, right? We're like we're so analog, we don't even we want to type. Um, yeah, it's, it's like literally you. Yeah, we could write text on on any kind of like cool, like a watercolor paper or something to pick up texture, and you could literally lay a six inch length of this film across it and project it. So now, now we have images that could come in for final projects that aren't a standard 35 millimeter frame either right like we have more variability in image width um, as, as people sort of exp if, if people do happen to experiment with contact printing you could get some really interesting image sizes um, out of it and it's also very interesting that this doesn't exist in bigger sizes because if you want to contact print something at a 35 millimeter scale that also limits a lot of what you can do. So that's well, sort of all, it's very creative. Th this film actually is sold. Uh, you can buy it. Let me see. You can buy it in larger than 35 millimeter sizes, actually. Okay. Um, I, so it looks like it's up to 105 millimeters wide. But so why isn't there a 4x5 projector for 4x5 slides shot on this film. We need to make that happen. There's no doubt. <laughs> you're like, you're kick-started a projector for 4x5? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and just raise a 70, 80 grand or something just in a couple of days and just make Patterson do it. I'm actually looking at it, so I may have misspoke. It's the it's the 2470 version of this film. I don't know how much different it is than 2468. Um, it's in the same family. That's the 105 millimeter version by five feet. And the 4468 is also 105. The 2468 is 16 and 35. Um, well, 105 millimeters. is exactly uh 4.13 inches wow so you could do 4x5 with this quite easily actually yeah if i might i might do that if 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 i'm going to do this project because then it would it would be more natural to 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 have those longer exposures but of course i don't have the wide aperture lenses. Well, hmm. I get. I'm guessing it would be around 20, 30, 40, 50 seconds exposure for for each shot. Probably yeah, wide open. Depending on your light, I'm guessing. If, yeah. If, although you know, I'm I'm curious now that we see that reciprocity is up to a hundred seconds. No reciprocity. Like, um, does in, that? Is that the same for the twenty four seventy? Do you know? Is the is the is the info information sheet the same for all the films? It's uh yeah, it looks like it looks like the 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 twenty four sixty eight and the twenty four seventy 
have the same reciprocity. And then when they get to the the, the 62 versions of the film, they have a, a separate reciprocity table. Um, cool. Yeah. Do you know if anyone sells 2470? I don't. I, honestly, until looking at this text sheet just now during this conversation, I didn't even know it really existed. Hmm. Well, we need to figure that out. No matches found on, on eBay. Yeah, I, you I have would... To, you have to ask your guy. I know he doesn't. <laughs> I, I, he doesn't even sell okay. this stuff. Um, I, I think right now all the films, the I think I get, what, four or five films from him, and um, I think those are the only films they use in their commercial uh, applications. Okay. Well, uh, speaking of, uh, how do you practically um, going to solve this this project? Are you going to uh, roll yourself uh, and sell, or how, how do you you can roll it right and the and the bulk loaders? Yeah. So without I have, sprockets, I have the um, I, I forget what you call that. I have one of the, I think it's a Lloyd tank that doesn't, it, it basically is the square uh, one. It doesn't happen to be square, but I think it's, it's okay. similar to those. And it has just sort of like a felt gate and there's no sprocket advance on that one. Like there's no counter. You literally just, you advance, you wind the film by number of revolutions and they tell you at 12, it's 12, at 24, it's like 20. And at 36, it's like 30 revolutions, right? Cause I guess as the film is expanding, you need less revolutions to pull more film or something like that. Um, right. So I'm gonna I'm gonna use that loader to load all the film. And what I want to do for this project, be, because the film speed is slow and development is interesting, is I'm probably going to roll everybody in the project three or four. It depends on how ambitious I am. Roughly 24 exposure rolls. So one of the one of the things we've seen with all the hand-rolled films that I do in my personal experience, a little bit of feedback I've gotten from people is that, you know, it's easy to load 24 exposures on any reel. And then as you start getting longer, we've had some issues with reels binding or just, you know, stuff happening funky and people getting the film sweats, if you will, um, trying to load the stuff. So I'm, I'm leaning towards shorter rolls for this project, but more of them. So you, you know, that way you have enough, and then also, I think at 23 or 4, 24 exposures gives you a little more experimentation room. Um, so you could... Yeah, and, and if, if, like for me, if every exposure is 30 seconds, I mean, a, a roll of 12 or 15 or something would, would be easier to to handle. I don't know how how long the latent image can be stored with those type of of uh, duplicating films, but I'm, I'm guessing it's not an issue. But yeah, I'm guessing it's not an issue either. But I think best results are faster development is better. I mean, I haven't done yeah. any of that sort of testing, but I think we know as a rule, just develop it when as fast as you can. I think we get the best results that way with just about every film. Yeah. So 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 yeah, my inclination is. 
three or four rolls of about 24 exposures for each member. And what I'm going to do is once people start adding themselves to the Flickr group and they get approved to that group, and it, it is just going to be first come, first serve, um, same as the other project. And then I will, inside of that group, it'll, it'll remain a closed group for the two or three months of the project, similar to, to 2238. Um, we will have a thread in there. And what I'm going to do is I'll put a link on my Etsy store for the film. And essentially, it will give people... That way you can just sort of go there and say, order three rolls of film. And it'll give me your address to send it to you and create the mailing label for me. The film will be no charge. I don't want to charge for the film. I don't want to charge for shipping either. So there'll be a code for you to, the film price will be zero. The shipping will have a code. You put in the code, it'll make the shipping for free. This will give folks the option. If they want to pay for their shipping, they're welcome to. Don't use the code. If they can't afford to or just don't want to, um, they don't have to, right? Like, it, I, I want the film to be open and available to everybody in the project and not have money be an issue. But if folks want to pay for their own shipping, um, they'll have that option. And mostly that Etsy store format just makes it so I don't have to get, like last time, like 45 individual messenger messages with addresses and then transfer them to, you know, something to keep track of it. I'll just literally get a little invoice from Etsy that says, so-and-so wants three rolls of this film and here's their address and I can just pack and send that way. Cool. Well, it's a very, it's a very nice thing that you're doing sort of not excluding anyone and just keeping it open. But I'm guessing that maybe like last time someone wants to pay a little bit more than, than the shipping. Do you have an option for that too? Just so you don't end up with the, with all the costs? You know, um, I, th I think what I can do is in that same group, I can link that old PayPal that we use for 2238. So that's, you know, that's still an option if, if folks yeah. want to donate. So that'll be there. I, I it's a good point. I haven't checked. I haven't checked Etsy to see if, uh, you know, if somebody wants to pay more than what the invoice is, if they have, if they can, um, I'll, I'll actually, I'll test that out and, I'll put that information inside of the project group once we launch it so it'll be available for folks. Cool. Well, this definitely sounds like a very interesting and fun project, just as the, the 2238 project was. And um, um, did, we, did we mention... Um, you, you mentioned that you had 12 zines that possibly could end up in in uh, non-members hands Ian yeah did you mention uh, anywhere people can go buy it or is that an option for for the 2238 and will it be an option for the uh, if it becomes a zine for the 2468 yeah so the 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 2238 project everybody that was in the original group has now ordered a copy so they've got the first first uh, 30 odd of of the zines uh so everything that's left on the etsy store is available for anybody else that might want them so yeah go to etsy and and search 2238 project and you'll find it um and yeah i'll be sending out this week as i say there's only 12 or 13 left so so getting quickly cool
Well, I guess that sort of wraps up this uh, episode uh, with those two projects, uh, one ending and one beginning. And uh, I usually don't uh, do this sort of like a social media, um, this, the personal selling at the end. <laughs> but we can uh, make an exception because I think we don't, we're not going to make any... Um, uh, show notes. Uh, I don't do that, especially with this show. So maybe just mention your stores and uh, and uh, where people can buy this film and where they can talk to you about it. Maybe uh, Michael, if you if you want to go first. Sure. The um, the the Kodak twenty two thirty eight. Uh, I'm selling through Etsy, and the store name is Hand Rolled Film, all one word. Um, and then this, pro- this upcoming 2468 project will be through there, but, you know, un- unfortunately the 2468 stock, uh, initially will only be available, um, for the project, but depending on how much I have left of it after I roll whatever we have for the project, I'll, I'll probably just dump the rest of it up there. Um, cause like I said, I, mostly for me is this film just doesn't get significantly better with age and I rather sell it off at a really inexpensive price and have people shoot it than have it go bad sitting in my fridge or in my, you know, in my closet for two years. Um, that's really why I'm trying to provide this outlet is just to get it out there while it's fresh. All right, cool. How about, how about you in? Yeah. So my Etsy store is Barnaby not, uh, you can get the two, two, three, eight zine there. Uh, you can also get my fabulous, um, preceding zine which was uh, Fabrica uh, I think there are 12 copies on there um, when I ordered the 2238 I, I added a few of, of that zine uh, to the order as well so I've got a few of those in stock um, yeah getting quickly because uh, I'm sure those 2238 zines will, will go really quick alright well uh, that's about it and um... We'll uh, see what the next episode brings. And until then, we'll chat later. Bye. We discovered uh, after recording, uh, after ending the recorded session, that uh, we forgot to mention the starting date of this new Kodak 2468 project. And uh, the starting date will be October 1st. So join in.